Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to edition of the Positive Chivas and Not the Podcast. <laughs> I'm here with Melissa, and we're going to talk everything Chivas Femenil. Uh, Melissa, what's up? Well, crazy week. Um, three games in, in seven days. I hope the players are getting some rest because they deserve it. I mean, seven points in, in three matches, pretty good results, I think. Yeah, definitely. They won two. They uh, tied one. They tied with Santos nil-nil. They started off the week with a nil-nil draw. On the last podcast, I had asked for adversity for Chivas, and right off the bat, they got it. I was like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we need to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they played Cruz Azul that week as well. They beat Cruz Azul 2-0, and they ended the week playing Pumas, which they beat 2-1. But there's a lot of things that we can talk about throughout the three games. I know we didn't want to break each game down because I think we can touch topics in general, like overall for the three games. Yeah, I mean, the Santos game, like you mentioned, it was like the adversity we kind of wanted Chivas to face. And Santos, like, even though they're like one of the highest ranked teams, they are always like a team that Chivas struggle with. Like they haven't beat them. And I think Eugene tweeted about it's like two years. They haven't yeah. beaten them or one year. So it's like the kind of matchup that they struggle with. And Santos did like really well. Like Santos, maybe not, not so much on attack, but in trying to neutralize completely the midfield and everything that Chivas did. And it was like interesting to see Chivas like struggle with a, against a team that managed to, to pretty much mess with their game. Yeah, Chivas was doing a lot of plays down their wings with uh, either Norma or uh, on the on the right, and then you had uh, Maria Sanchez on the left. And uh, Santos did a pretty good job of just canceling them out for most of the game. They had opportunities here and there, but um, it was pretty much like a goalie showdown that that night. Blanca Felix had a, a bunch of saves for Chivas, and uh, Toledo had a that PK save against Alicia Cervantes. Yeah, I mean, Toledo is one of the best goalkeepers, and she's super young. She's like the U20 goalkeeper, but she's like a massive talent, and, and she's a player that, that she's exciting to watch, and I really hope that she leaves Santos. Hopefully, she can come to Chivas. But yeah, I mean, she's definitely like one of their top two best players, and, and she really showed why. I mean, why she's like that uh, starting goalkeeper for the national team and I really hope that she continues to de- to develop and to become like and make that transition to the senior national team because she's really good yeah it wasn't it wasn't the matchup I was expecting but it was a nil-nil tie but it wasn't a, it was still a fun match to watch yeah it wasn't like kind of dull or anything like both teams were, were really trying but it was like part because both goalkeepers were so good I mean I think that we're seeing Blanca have like a really good level this season, something that I think that we hadn't really seen in the past year. I mean, she was doing well, but like right now, I feel like she really, she's really back in her best form. And like, she's, she's been really great at those one-on-ones and, and that's like her, her trademark play. So it's really great to see her in this form. Yeah, definitely for sure. And then, you know, we had the Chivas Cruz Azul game. Um, same thing. I feel like teams are starting to try to neutralize Chivas' wings. And going into that match, I was really curious how Shorty Mejia and the team was going to react to the teams that are planning on doing that going forward with Chivas. And I think that's going to be the plan going forward. They press high and they try to cancel out 
the wings and try to just win the game in the midfield. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, one thing that we did see with Santos, I feel like, like and Chore, I feel like he has been learning from this, is that I, I think that he, it took him too long to make those substitutions. Like, he he changed, uh, he brought in Jocelyn Montoya for Norma Palafox at the 58 minute against Santos, but then he kind of like just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And like, if you are seeing the midfields not working, I mean, try try something else to to try and regain control of that. And it took him like a while, and he didn't make the other two subs until the 70th minute when he brought in Yashira Barrientos for Maria Sanchez, and he brought in Tania Morales to to replace Caro Jaramillo. And I think that. That was like one of his main mistakes and something that I mentioned in the piece that I wrote for Food Mix Nation is that I didn't really like his bench. Like I saw his bench and I felt like he didn't really have much options on the mid because it, it was only like Tania and Victoria Acevedo who is like more of a, a defensive midfielder. And I don't know, maybe I would have liked to see someone like Isabella Gutierrez step in and maybe try to try to show what she could do in like a, a kind of like four over match in the midfield. So I kind of feel like uh, Chore took those lessons and he really tried to apply them in, in the Cruz Azul game because Cruz Azul, I mean, even though I would expect them to be ranked higher because they've been playing really well, they haven't kind of been able to convert the, their chances, but they're still like a, a very, very dangerous team to, to face. Yeah, I didn't, I, I thought she was did well to control that game. And they were they were patient. That was the key. They didn't get desperate in trying to break down Cruz Azul's um, midfield or their back line. And then you know the first goal was a really nice build up from Alisa Cervantes and uh, Carolina Jaramillo, who had earlier in the game they had gotten close. I think Alicia crossed the ball and uh, Cervantes um, Jaramillo didn't get a like a good connect on it. She tried to stop the ball. It was a bad first touch. But um, it's nice to see the team. Also building goals down the middle now. Yeah, I think that they were able to, to like you said, said um, remain like really patient and trying to to build their game and not get like intimidated. And yeah, I mean it, it's great because it's something that we mentioned before that Caramillo said that they they were trying to play easy or, or try to make the best decision possible. And I think that we're seeing that and that they're getting like better at at reading each other's movements and trying to find each other. Yeah, and I think this is, this is also like the game that uh, Shorty started making adjustments to the lineup. I know he didn't play uh, Norma Palafox or um, Montoya to start. He started uh, Carolina Jaramillo at, at right wing. What do you think of that when you saw that? Yeah, I thought it was interesting because he he brought in Tania for the midfield in mm-hmm. in the in the left side, which is where Caro was playing. And I think that that's a move that he could have made earlier against um, Santos because, I mean, Tania, she might not be at her best form, but she's still like that captain and that leader. And you kind of need sometimes that that experience to to sort everyone out and like to try to keep everyone like in in order and keeping their line and stuff. So I think it was interesting to to see that kind of move. I mean, I I would have expected maybe to, to start Montoya on the on the right wing and just leave Caro at, at the midfield, but it was an interesting like decision to to try and see if Caro could could step in in that role, and I think that she did really well. Yeah, I feel like with Jaramillo on the wing, there is not that dependency on the wings. Like she has the ability to come come into midfield and play, so like she's not isolated. I feel like at certain times and 
like Norma Balafox and uh, Montoya might be. Yeah, and like defensively, Jaramillo is like way more solid that, than, for example, Montoya, because Montoya, I feel like sometimes she can miss that a little bit in terms of go- coming back and, and trying to help defensively. Yeah, and then uh, we had, we're talking about Montoya. She also had that one play. I know you've mentioned it before that she kind of has like a, her, her one weakness is that she doesn't really pick up her teammates' runs. And we saw like she had a great opportunity to lay the ball off to Lee Chai in the counterattack. And I don't know if she didn't look up or maybe she reacted too late, but um, she didn't get the ball off to her. Yeah, I mean, Montoya is, is really. She's really young still, and I think that's something that she needs to to develop and that she can learn because she has like great players with that skill set in the team. Like you have Licha who has like a, a really good read on the on everyone's moves. Yashira who is like really great too, and I think that it's kind of in a way obvious an obvious weakness for her, and it's not noticeable because we have like these great players that are really good at at building for the for the others on attack. And when Montoya like keeps running and keeps trying to finish herself, it's kind of a bit more evident. But I still think that she's got like a ton of potential, and she's like really been an asset for the team. But I mean, those are, are the kinds of things that you want to see her like develop and keep ma- keep maturing on as she as she keeps developing in the league too. Yeah, for sure. What do you think of Norman Palafox not a uh, not playing that game? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's partly trying to rotate players because trying to prevent injuries, and that's something mm-hmm. that. I mean, there are some players that I haven't seen and the club hasn't been posting like their injury reports. So we don't know who's injured and who, who isn't. Like so far, the only confer- confirmed injury is Evelyn Gonzalez. But then you kind of wonder like what's happening if we are not seeing these other players. But yeah, I mean, I think that it was good to, to see some kind of rotation and also to try to, to keep maybe opponents guessing how how it's going to be, how Chivas is going to play. But I think that it worked well. I mean, for sure. Obviously, you get the, the 2-0 win and keeping a clean sheet, which is important. But also, I think that it was that, uh, like that boost mentally to say, okay, so we we've turned the page. We we're back to winning again. And like Cruz Azul was like a tricky, a tricky opponent because last time they played, uh, Chivas was up 3-0. And then Cruz Azul was able to score three times and, and it ended on a draw. So you also kind of have that on the back of your mind and you are thinking like, okay, they, this this team can come back and, and try and draw things because they, they really have like the firepower to do it. Yeah, and then another positive we saw in this game was the return of the long shot. I know, Melissa, you had mentioned it in your Food Max Nation piece and we talked about it on the pod that we have players that are capable of ripping a shot from outside the box and... We saw Nicole Perez take a couple of shots, and eventually Victoria Acevedo had the 2-0 goal from outside the box. She drilled it low into the corner, and it's just good to see that that's coming back, too. We know uh, Jaramillo can also take those shots. Yeah, and that's something that we saw, like, Pumas tried that a lot against Chivas on their, on their match, and we'll, we'll get to that later, but... Yeah, I mean, if you have players who have the capability to shoot from the long distance, I mean, try to, to set up some plays and practice and, and keep that in the like as an option because sometimes you just can't bring the ball all the way to to the box and you kind of have to try if you have those spaces. So it's nice to, nice to see them really try and go for that because it's a, like a real option. It's, it's something that we've seen them all do, like Nicole or, or like even Jaramillo. I know that she was trying those at practice too. 
So it's an important thing that they are really going to need, like especially considering in future matches, like for example against Monterrey, which can be like a really hard defense to crack. So if you can try to to do like for the less orthodox approach, if the defense is not letting you through, then I mean go for it and, and practice and feel confident that you can score from, from that distance. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, you mentioned the Pumas game. We said two one a hard. I thought that was like the hardest match of the of the week. Um, at the end of that game, I was actually like getting the anxiety attacks I get when I watch the men's team and they're up by one goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and, this, this is not supposed to be like this. <laughs> and it's funny, Pumas has been like the highest ranked team they faced, and this is the first time they they beat Pumas because last time they played, which was I think the first time they they played each other, it was a draw. So. Uh, visiting Pumas is tough because you're coming off from two matches with three days of rest in between and you're traveling to Mexico City in like the altitude and it was also like a very cold day so you kind of have like these factors against you like you're, you're tired, it's cold but I think that they did really well I mean considering that Pumas has been has been playing well I think that getting those points against them, and that's the, that's the funny part. I mean, if you were you would have told me like they're getting seven out of nine points, I would have guessed that maybe Pumas or Cruz Azul would have been the draw and not Santos because apparently Santos was like the easier opponent. <laughs> but I think that it's great that they're going to get that confidence of saying, okay, we we can beat like a stronger team, and as the opponents keep getting like like tougher, they know that they can face them and, and like do well. Yeah, I know Chivas started the game off really well, and then I know they got the goal at, what was it? Was it like the eighth, fourth minute? I wrote eight yeah, on the thing, was, but I feel like it was four, no? Yeah, it was really early in the match. Yeah, and then, you know, we saw the set pieces, uh, set piece tactics that, that Shodi has been bringing to Chivas Femenil. They all start from up top of the box, and Alicia Cervantes made a great run to find the ball and just bury it. Yeah, and with that, uh, Licha gets to eight goals, which is also like an important number because this is now the record for Chivas in regular season goals. I mean, Chivas has never had like a striker that delivers 10 goals a season. And like in that way, our threshold was really low. It was the record was in, was seven, I think, by Brenda Viramontes. And that also shows like how much Chivas needed a, a player like Licha, who can deliver like those many goals in, in like a single player. And it's great. I mean, I think that that she deserves that. And it's really impressive that she's been able to to break that record in, in so little matches because we are not even halfway through the season. So I think that she's just going to keep on adding to that and, and deliver a new record by the end of the season. Yeah, she's definitely going to get that uh, that video that the do the ending guy promised her. From uh, what was it, Banda MS? Yeah, Banda MS because she said that <laughs> that she loves Banda and yeah, she just needs two more goals to to get that video. What what has she said in that interview? She said by week ten was it or week nine? Yeah, I think it, yeah nine or ten I think, but I mean she has what two matches left to to reach yeah. that that mark. I mean I think that that she should be be able to get them. Yeah, and then she also had a goal that was called back. Uh, for offsides um and that was like a crazy sequence because it was off a set piece and um i know jaramillo tried like a chilena that landed in front of michelle gonzalez the shot bounced off the crossbar and then gets deflected to maria sanchez outside the box and the uh, goalie blocks it 
and the chat just cleans it up and scores it, but she was clearly uh, offsides. Yeah, it's just those kind of crazy plays where everybody's trying to, to bury the ball, but it just doesn't work out. And also, I mean, Pumas has a, a good goalkeeper as well. Melanie Villeda has been consistently really good. I think that she's kind of a little bit underrated in the league, and, and I think that she's a fantastic player. So she's also key in terms of, of the Pumas defense working as well as it has been. And and that's something that I, I, I had also been mentioning, that uh, Melanie Villeda and also Puebla keeper Brisa Rangel, these are players that Tere Campos has had trained. Uh, Tere Campos is a goalkeeper trainer. She's currently not with any team. And she was at Pumas for a while. And I think that she's she was really great at developing these, these players. And I really would like to see her for Chivas because I think that maybe Blanca and, and Celeste and, and Fernanda could use like a goalkeeper trainer like her. I really hope that they consider bringing her in. Yeah, the the shot that the goalie blocked, the Maria Sanchez shot she blocked, it was a really complicated shot to block because it was one of those that is coming in the air and it's about to hit the ground right before it, it reaches you. So you have to like kind of predict where the ball's going to go and um, she, she blocked it nicely. Yeah, you can see like like Tere Campos's mark on, on her goalkeepers because they are like like their technique is is really good. She's kind of like focuses on that, so you can see like they have like a very polished technique, and I think that that's something that's really great to see in the league. Yeah, and then you know we have Pumas comes back late in the second and late in the first half, they get a goal off a cross that um initially Blanca Felix did a great job of stopping the initial header. But unfortunately, there was a Pumas player right there to clean it up, and Pumas tied it 1-1. And, uh, you know, I thought they were going to go into the half tied. And then at the 44th minute, Blanca Felix made a great save that uh, stopped Pumas from going up into the half, up by a goal. Another 1v1, just like in the Toluca game, you know, she avoided Chivas going down 2-1. And I think all credit, you know, to Blanca Felix. Yeah, it was like a, a very Osvaldo Sanchez-like save. Like, I don't know, I saw a photo of Osvaldo, of Osvaldo save the other day, and it looked like exactly the way Blanca <laughs> positions herself. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, once again, Blanca just like doing her part to keep uh, Chivas in the in these matches. And, and it's great to see like her bringing that level back. But yeah, I mean, I thought that Chivas was also trying at the end of the first half to, to try and score, but in the end they went up 1-1 to, to the, to the halftime. Yeah, and then in the second half, you know, we got the Nicole Perez PK goal, 59th minute. It was a nice build-up from Chivas, again, down the middle, which eventually led to Jaramillo getting fouled in the box. So once again, you know, we see the Chivas playing down the middle, and, you know, new new designated PK taker, Nicole Perez. I know you mentioned before she was usually the one that did it, but um, maybe they were trying to give Alicia Cervantes a chance, but uh, we're back to Nicole Perez, and she buried it. Yeah, Nicole was usually the the penalty kick taker, and she's been she'd been for a while, and that's also like a role that she's taken in the national team as well. So she's not a stranger to to doing that. And I think that it's it's a good decision because I mean, even though like I mentioned on on Twitter, we all want Licha to get that golden boot, but I think that it's great that she's getting a bit of pressure off her so that she doesn't feel that she has to do everything. So, I mean, if penalty kicks are not her thing, then, I mean, it's good for the team and it's also good for her because 
if she would have failed that, then I think that the pressure would have kept on building in her head. And I think that it's great that, that she can kind of take that breath and say, okay, I know that my teammates can, can deliver the penalty kicks and I'll just focus on doing my thing. Yeah, no, no credit to Nicole Perry. It was a great, great penalty kick uh, high and right into the corner. I watched, I think I watched the uh, Mexico-Ghana under-17 World Cup highlights and she had, I feel like she's just naturally good at them because she had the same exact PK and same exact location where she put it. Yeah, she's got good technique and she's like a very calm player. Like she doesn't get nervous and like I said, she's she's used to the pressure. So even though she's so young, she's like capable of like standing her ground and saying, okay, I'm going to do this and, and deliver like a goal for the team. Yeah, it was great to see. And then Pumas had one last chance towards the end of the game, a low cross in the box and the Pumas player just, it kind of went through her legs and we lucked out. And Chivas ended up winning 2-1. But um, some other takeaways from that game, there were a couple of injuries. I don't know if it was because of the condition of the pitch or just unfortunate, you know, a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, I think that it was the partly the pitch, the cold, and I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember. I read an article from the Pumas players where I think that they haven't been having, like, the best medical staff available and they haven't been getting, like, proper treatment and stuff. I'm trying to remember if it was Pumas or another team, but I kind of think I'm pretty sure it was Pumas. So, I don't know, maybe they really need to look into into their, their training staff and see if they're really doing proper conditioning for the players because it was a lot of injuries. I mean, it wasn't, like, normal to see. Maybe also, like, I mean, everybody played three matches this week and, like, of course, some teams have, like, better staff and resources than others. And that also ends up weighing in in the, in the teams as well. Yeah, that's true. And then where where does Pumas play um, their feminine team? Because I, I really like that, uh, what's, I don't know what you call it, the, the background of the goal. What is that, like, it kind of looks like the side of a mountain. You know, on, like, yeah, the... Instagram, you see... Um, Pictures of like random soccer fields and like the middle of jungles and stuff like that. It looks really cool. It reminded me like one of those. Yeah, they play at, at La Cantera, which is like their their training grounds and their youth squad grounds. And yeah, it's like really famous because of that stone wall they have. They never really played in the stadium. They only played once uh, at the Estadio Olimpico, and that was on March this year. But it was part of like Women's Day commemorations and there was like I think like a women's day festival or something and they decided to put like the a Pumas femenil game there but it's not something that that you ever see them do and it's not I don't think that they're going to try to do it because you know you have Pumas the, the men's team playing there and also like their football team playing there so it's like a lot of matches for that pitch and they've always played at La Cantera and, and they've, they've asked coach Davila about it before like they told her I mean don't you feel that it's unfair that you don't get to play the stadium? And she's, I mean, obviously she's not going to maybe complain publicly, but she said that they actually like playing there. And yeah, I mean, that's where they, they usually have their matches. Yeah, and no, I, I like it. It, look, it looks like a really cool backdrop um, when you're uh, going to that goal. Yeah, it's a, it's, it, it looks really nice. But I mean, at the same time, you kind of want the women's teams to play like bigger venues too. Yeah, but I don't know, sure. maybe it kind of has grown into like a tradition to play there and if the team's comfortable then like there's not much that we can say about it yeah no i think is pumas the one team that doesn't have a feminine account for their uh 
for their teams on their socials? Yeah, that's it. That's the other thing. They don't have like a dedicated women's team account. And like a lot of people have, have tweeted at them and told them like, why don't you have one? And they say, oh no, because we're trying to use like the exposure that the men's team already has to, so that our followers get the information, but like they don't even use a hashtag or something. So it's kind of tricky finding their stuff and their information because if you had a hashtag, at least you can filter out what you want to see if you want to see just like women's team content. But they don't do that. So it's, I don't know if it's like they said, it's a deliberate choice or they're just being kind of lazy with that. But you would like to see like maybe more more engagement and trying to to push the, the team a bit better. Yeah, I, I just bring that up because I know I had seen like one or two people on the timeline complaining about and like adding Bumas that they don't have a, a feminine account, like a specifically dedicated to the everything feminine. Yeah, and also they had like this season where they didn't make any moves and everybody was like wondering because you already have like the difficulty of finding the information and then you are seeing them not do anything during transfers and stuff. And it kind of adds into like this image we have that maybe they could be trying a bit harder with their women's team. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, to go back to Chivas, um, the take I think the, the takeaways from uh, these three games are, you know, I like what Shorty's been doing in terms of adjustments and he knows teams are going to come out and play maybe a specific way against him now, and he's trying to figure out, you know, how not to depend so much on on the wing play and play down the middle to score some goals. Yeah, I mean, I think that this was, like, a big learning experience for him in terms of figuring out, like, better timing for the subs and figuring out how to how to rearrange players and try to, to regain control of the match in tricky situations. And I think that overall the team responded well. I mean, they're still, like, they're currently ranked third, I think. And, I mean, overall, I mean, if you, were, you would have told me, like, okay, coming into the season with Chore, which we didn't know how he was going to perform, and the team, which we didn't know how, how they were going to perform. If you would have told me, like, they're going to be third by Jornada Siete, I would have said, yes, bring it in. Like, I want that. <laughs> it's, I am completely okay with that. So, yeah, I mean, and also, like, the biggest takeaway is that they have the best defense in the tournament. So that's also been great to see. They've only been scored on twice. I mean, I know that they might not have had the, the toughest matchups yet, but that also kind of builds confidence because they're they're scoring a lot, but they're also like holding well defensively. And right now they have like the same points as as Tigres. They're in third place, and the only reason they are third is because they have scored uh, five fewer goals, but they've also been scored less. So I think that is kind of like a good balance to have. And I really want to see them, like, to see how they react against stronger teams. But so far, so good. I mean, I don't think that anyone was expecting Chivas to be third right now. Yeah, you mentioned they're, uh, they've only had two goals scored in them, like you said. And if you look at the other top four teams, they have uh, six goals, seven goals, six goals allowed. So Chivas is doing really well. Like you said, they're not the toughest opponents, but I feel like we've had... We have common opponents with um, Monterrey, Tigres, and America, so those teams are scoring on them, and they they're not scoring on Chivas. So I have to say, has to say something I think about Chivas' defense and Blanca Felix's goalkeeping. Yeah, and also I mean Michel Gonzalez, who was coming in from not playing for a year, 
and like straight over to, to center back. I think that she's been doing great. And also Jacqueline Rodriguez, our our right back, she wasn't the starter under uh, Coach Villa on on the last matches. And it's really great to see her. I, I always preferred her over maybe Godinez, but it's great to see her like doing well on that side. And that's also, I think, part of, of why the team's holding so well defensively. And I mean, Janelle Farias isn't back yet. So when she's like fully fit, that's also going to increase the, the competition in that defensive line, which is going to make it even better. Yeah, definitely. And then I know Michelle Gonzalez, they keep listing her as a, as a midfielder when I look at the lineup. So, like, I'm going through it. I'm like, oh, Michelle Gonzalez got benched. And then it happens every time. Like, I always forget. And then, like, a couple names later, she's there. I'm like, oh, never mind. They keep they keep listing her as a, as a midfielder. Yeah, that's something that, that happens. Overall, for all the teams in the league's website, I don't know what it is. If, like, it's just teams that have, have them classified like that. But, for example, Pachuca's top goal scorer, Viridiana Salazar, she's listed as a midfielder. She's a striker. So, I don't know what's happening there. But Michelle Gonzalez has actually played both positions. I know that when she was brought in from Leon, she was actually a midfielder. And it also surprised me when I saw her as a center back. I was like, what? But it would be interesting to maybe try and play her on the mid to see maybe what she could deliver. Because also we have like Andrea Sanchez who started as a left wing player and then she was converted into a left back. So it's kind of interesting when coaches make like those little changes and, and transitions for players. And yeah, I mean, I think that that would be maybe an interesting option to try too. Yeah, and then um, I know um, I forgot to mention the uh, the Blanca Felix and Michelle Gonzalez uh, collision. I think Blanca Felix oh, had like yeah. a swollen eye. <laughs> yeah, she, she got hit hard. I mean, it was hard for both of them because also Michelle Gonzalez wears braces. Yeah. And that also must have been painful. I mean, I think that I know that she was bleeding from her mouth and then Blanca played like a, a lot of the match with like a one swollen eye and, and she was taken off a few times to check her because she was still bleeding. And then she posted on her social media this week that she was okay, that she got two stitches. She was making a joke that she was trying to get both of her eyebrows even because <laughs> she has a scar on her left eyebrow. So she says that she missed the mark. It was a few inches to the side, but that she was trying to get them both like looking the same. Yeah, yeah. I had I had braces as a as a teenager, and um, yeah, it hurts when you get hit in the mouth. Like when you, I used to play basketball, and like every time a ball would like get deflected into to my face, like you just end up bleeding on the inside of your mouth. It sucks. Yeah, they're really brave because you see a lot of players with braces. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They're like they have my respect for doing that. <laughs> Uh, do you want to get into fan questions? I know you wanted to talk about... We got two questions with similar topics, and I know you really wanted to talk about it. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so we have questions. Okay, we got three. Okay, the first one was by, by Fabiola, uh, Fabiola Contreras, who's a friend. And she said, after seeing Chivas face uh, more challenging teams, which do you think is the main uh, opportunity area for the team and specifically for Chore. So, okay, the things that I've seen that I think that Chore should work on, I think that we still need to figure out um, like the rhythm picks for this, for this team. I know that's something that Coach Villa, it was, had really, he worked really well. Like you could see like these very clear picks of 
attacking 15 minutes and then like maybe falling back a bit the next 15. And you, that's something that you see in the in the other teams that have been with their coaches longer. I mean, you see like these peaks of activity on attack and then maybe trying to rest a little bit and then coming back. And with Chivas, um, their goals are like very spread over the 90 minutes. So I think that he still needs to find like how to how to get the team like take those like little moments of when to attack and maybe when to rest a little bit and then when to go back on attack. So that maybe that that kind of helps them like uh, regroup and focus a bit more. I think that that's something that that I would like to see them develop or at least have like a bit more clear a clear idea of that. And the other things that I want to see improvement on, um, well, it's like um, the timing for subs, but we we did see like some work on that on the last two matches this week. And also, like another of my main issues with Jore this season so far is his bench management. Um, like I said, I don't know which players are injured, but I don't think that we are getting the best bench that we could be getting. And I, I'm kind of seeing that it, the, the bench is not as balanced as it could be because we are not getting um, players on the mid that could help a lot, like Isabella Gutierrez or Miriam Castillo. And I don't know if it's like a conscious decision to say, okay, I'm going to rotate them so that everyone's happy or if it's a forced decision because he's having injuries or if it's just like a plainly tactical decision to say, no, this is what I want to do with my bench. But I kind of feel like he should be doing a bit of work with that because we're also seeing like shorter benches on the away games. I'm not sure if that's like a, maybe like the traveling restrictions because of COVID because he only took seven players to the bench for Pumas, and he only took one midfielder, which was Victoria Acevedo, which is a defensive midfielder. So what would have happened if he needed to do like a like a midfield substitution and attack? Like, what would you have done then? So I kind of feel like that's one of the, of the weaker things, but also, I mean, you kind of expect that because Chore is like a relatively young coach, and he's still new, he's trying to figure out things. So I kind of want to see to see what he does with that issue. But I mean, I think that so far, if something that we can see from Chori is that he's critical of himself and he's kind of been able to detect where his mistakes have been and he's been able to correct them. So I kind of want to see how he does with that for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I meant to ask you about that. The, it was weird that he didn't take that many players and he had so little players on the bench against um, in the away game specifically. I know against Santos, I think it, he was also he, had, he also had a short bench and it was weird again when he had it against Pumas. But um, like you said, I don't know if that's COVID or that's just him not thinking he's not going to need the players, which is weird. Like You should take a full bench to every game. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to hard to figure out how much of it is, like, forced because of external factors and how much it's his decision. But, like, even if you're going to take a short bench, I mean, try to make it as best as you can. And I feel like that's kind of the decision-making that's been kind of lacking a bit in that sense. Do you think it's because he feels he doesn't have the players he needs and just doesn't take them? Maybe he's looking to the offseason to add some depth to the bench? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would have taking at least Isabella because she's like a young talent and and if you think that you're going to have like an easy match for example against Santos which like everybody thought it was going to be then I mean it makes sense to take in young players 
because if you are taking control of the match, then you can send them in, get those youth minutes, which are, are also necessary, and also keep developing your players. I mean, I don't know, it kind of doesn't make sense to me what he's been doing with the bench, but like I'm willing to to maybe give him like the benefit of the doubt if he, if it turns out that it's actually been injuries that, that have been sidelining some players that I wanted to see. Yeah, and you said there, there are no like official injury reports from the team, right? They haven't been putting them out? Yeah, I asked around. I asked around and, and I got uh, told from someone who works at the club that they haven't been receiving them. So that's why their social media people haven't been posting them. So I don't know if that's maybe like a technical decision from Chore to say, okay, I'm trying to limit the information my rivals have. Or if it's just like a communication mishap going on. But yeah, I mean, we've kind of been kept in the dark in terms of who's injured, who's not injured. Like I said, the only confirmed injury we have is Evelyn Gonzalez, who has a sprain. And it was kind of weird to see because I saw an Instagram post of her and she was like wearing crutches and I was like, what happened to her? <laughs> and then I saw like one of the of the pre-match uh, articles they post and, and then they did say that she had a sprain. But the other... Uh, players like for example Andrea Sanchez I don't know what's happening with her or why she's not playing but we really need her on the field and we are not seeing her so I don't know what's happening there you mentioned uh, Andrea Sanchez you want to just jump into the next question now well they're both similar <laughs> yeah okay so yeah they're both similar uh, we have one from Vanessa Villa and Viviana Barambila who are also like regulars on the account they're always like commenting and tweeting at the account and they both asked, um, how do you look at Araceli's work on the court and do you miss Andrea? And the other one question was, who should be the starter, Araceli Torres or Andrea Sanchez? <laughs> like I, I responded last night with like that one gif <laughs> that said, you don't ask about what you see. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll try to be as clear and concise as possible because this is a whole issue for the team. I mean, Chivas Femenil has been needing a reliable substitute left back for quite a while. I mean, it's, this is not a new issue. I really don't think Araceli Torres should be starting. I don't like what I've seen from her so far. I feel like she still has some gaps in her game. And like we were talking about this on, on the DMs, there was like this chart with the three players with the most passes. If you look at these um, passes charts uh, from the top three players in terms of accuracy and number of passes, you have like this huge gap where the left back should be. And I don't like seeing that. And also like on the Pumas goal, you see that Araceli is in line to avoid the, the to, to bring in the offside. But she never really turns around to see if she has someone behind her. And that's where the goal lands from. So I don't love seeing her. I mean, I don't. I also don't think that she's terrible. But I don't think that she's the best option we have. And the thing is that you have Andrea Sanchez, who has been dominant in that position. I mean, she's a national team player. Like I mentioned before, she used to be a winger who got converted into a left back. So she supplies a lot on, on attack, and she's also really solid defensively. So, I mean, I don't know what's happen, happening. I don't know if she's injured. And I really would prefer to see Andrea Sanchez start. And, I mean, I'm not, I don't just go offering my tendons to any player. 
and if she needs them she can have them but <laughs> i mean yeah i mean i don't know what, what's happening there and the other thing is that we only have three left backs okay we have andrea sanchez who's the usual starter then we have araceli torres who has been playing and i don't really like seeing her there and then we have like the eternal mystery for chivas femenil which is why does samara alcalá not play and that's something that everybody has been wondering for the last two years i think and two years and three coaches, and we still don't know why she doesn't get the start. Because, I mean, she's a good player. She was a U20 national team player in 2017. She's currently 22, so she's still young. Um, and then when she did get lined up by Coach Villa, she made the best 11. And she was picked like one of the best players of the league. And this was in July 2019, a year ago. And then she gets, like, finally the chance, she plays well, and then she is completely overlooked for the rest of the season. And we're all, like, wondering, I mean, if she has proven herself when she is, has a chance to, then why is she not getting, like, the starts? And there are, like, a few a few theories to this, like, mystery. One is that, I don't know if she's maybe still studying, and that's why she can make it, like, to the away games. But then that, that wouldn't explain why she isn't getting, like, even on the home game, some minutes or something. And then the only other answer I have is that she's a really bad driver and she has run over the dogs of every single coach <laughs> this team has had. Because otherwise, I really, I really don't have an answer. Like, why is she not getting the chance to play? I mean, she's clearly good. She's clearly got... Um, what it takes and, and I don't know I mean I just feel bad for her and she gets asked a lot like people have asked her like why are you not getting any minutes and she's always like being really gracious about it and say I mean it's up to the coach I just do my work and, and try to wait for my chance but it feels really unfair at this point to see Araceli Torres get the start and like Samara get completely overlooked I mean, I really don't know what, what's happening there because it's not like, oh, it's just that Chori doesn't like her. No, I mean, this was a thing with Villa. This was a thing with Coach Diaz. This is now a thing with Coach Mejia. I mean, I, I really I really don't know. I mean, I, I really wouldn't like... I really would like to get an answer to this before I die because I'm going to be wondering about this for the rest of my life. It's like a... For, for people who are new to following this team, the Samara Alcala mystery is one of the biggest mysteries this team has so now you know what's happening there and if you see like a lot of people on, on the team's mention saying why does, doesn't she play now you know why it's a mystery and I really would like to figure out what's happening there because I, I do think that we need her and I also think that trying to find a good left back uh, sub is something that the team really needs to look into for the transfer window and I mean there are options um when I was like checking during the off season, like maybe what players we could get. I mean, even you have like a, a teams that might not be like as big as as Chivas. Like for example, in San Luis, San Luis has a U17. She's a right back, but maybe we could try her on the left side to see if she works. Edith Carmona, who is like U17, she's really solid. And there was also Tamara Romero from San Luis who went to who went to, to Mazatlán and she kind of reminds me a bit of Andrea Sanchez in her game because she's like more offensive than defensive. And I mean, also Toluca, they have like a couple of good left backs that maybe we should try and, and steal from them. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I really want to see 
a signing on that position because I really do think we need her. We need to, to find someone there because I don't think that it has been like a, as reliable and I think that it's starting to show. I mean, part of why maybe Maria Sanchez has kind of been a bit of isolated in the last three matches is because there's not that support from Torres that you would like to see. Yeah, when you sent me those charts, the like the past charts, it was crazy that a lot of the left side is like blank. Anything that goes to the left is going from either the right to across the field, and none of it's coming like directly from the left back to Maria Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, at some point, like everybody was pretty much skipping over Torres and going straight to Sanchez, and I think that that's something that Jordan needs to. To look into and I don't know that we need to try to find a way to figure out how to how to cover that song because Rayadas is not going to be an easy an easy team to play and if you have like a weakness on one side they are completely going to exploit it so I mean I think that's something that that really needs figuring out in terms of trying to to balance that defense yeah it's definitely something to keep an eye on going through the season. Um, do we have any... No, that was the last question, right, Melissa? Yeah, because we had three, and two of them were about Torres and <laughs> Andrea Sanchez, and the other one was about Chore. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty obvious. My answer was going to be pretty obvious for people who follow the account. And, and yeah, I mean, no... no I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't think that Torres is completely awful, but she's definitely not up to, to the level of the rest of her teammates. So I think that that really, really need to figure out what's happening there. Yep. And then, Melissa, for the player profile of the week, we've decided to go with Nicole Perez, uh, 19 years old and born in Guadalajara, Jalisco. She started training in gymnastics as a kid. She started playing soccer, I think I read, in uh, youth school. But um, even before that, she represented Jalisco in soccer and uh, racquetball for Olimpiada Nacional. And uh, eventually she had a she had a stint at uh, RCD Espanol in 2017, but um, like you told me, Melissa, she only trained there for a month before returning to Mexico and joining Chivas. Yeah, it's interesting because she had like the the chance to train with Espanol and they didn't pick her, so she returned to to Guadalajara. But the first season of Liga MX Femenil had already started, and and she's mentioned before that she was training with the team and she was like basically part of the team except that she wasn't registered so even though she was with them during the championship run she doesn't have the title so I think that's that's kind of like really bad because she's one of the players that I would like to see win a title with Chivas and I mean she's been there like from the start and that's something that, that I've mentioned like sometimes we forget how young these players are because they started really early and like the league, the league has been going on for three years now. So she's now 19 and like she still has like a ton of potential and it's really great this season to see her. Like I think that she's she's back at her best level because I think that she suffered a little bit last season. But I mean, it's normal. I mean, it's part of her, of her development and her process. But right now I think that this is like the most confident and and the best performing I've seen from her in quite a while, and also like to mention, uh, and this is like part of her character as a player because she's not someone who who shies away from 
from taking leadership positions on the field. When the team had its worst season under coach um, Luis Manuel Diaz, she was the top scorer for the team. And I really remember seeing her like trying to bring the team forward and trying to motivate her teammates to say, okay, let's go, let's try to attack, even when the team was doing like really poorly. So I think that's something that that she really has and that's something that that not many players maybe show, like that true leadership that feels really natural for her. And I mean, she's also like um, really like a really Chivas person and fan. I mean, she's also, this is something that gets mentioned a lot too. Her uncle is Suli Ledesma, who was a champion with Chivas. So like she's got that Chivas DNA like in her bones, which is also interesting to see. And I mean, I think that, that what we've seen with her is like, her continued development from the U-17 national team where they made the World Cup final and now with the U-20 team that hasn't had their World Cup yet but like everyone's expecting them to, to do pretty well. And I also think that Monica Vergara's coaching has been like really instrumental to developing her as a player. I think that's been like a... They built like a really, really strong relationship between coach and player and I think that Monica Vergara has been a, a coach that has shown that she can really help and boost her players to, to do better. And it's something that something that Monica Vergara did during the, the World Cup final run was that she would write a word on each of her players' arms, like a word that would define them. And the word that Nicole Perez wore on her, her arm was, was leader. And because she's been like that leader and that captain for Monica Vergara's national team. And... That's why even though she's so young, like she's someone with like a very mature presence on the field and you like keep forgetting that she's just 19 years old. Yeah, I saw she was she was the captain of the uh, the runners up at this under 17 World Cup, right? Yeah, she was the captain for the team. Yeah, yeah. like she scored like massive goals and she's like a good penalty kick taker and she's mm-hmm. got like a, a very technical style of play. Like she's really good at free kicks and she's made like converted goals like straight from from free kicks and stuff so she she kind of has like a very complete game and it's been like really interesting to see her grow and develop yeah i'm I'm excited i was watching the uh under 17 world cup highlights before we started recording and now i'm like i'm hyped to watch the uh, under 20 world cup when it eventually happens i guess yeah i mean that's the it's kind of like uh, uh, interesting because that's the generation that has ripped like the most benefits out of the league because of the age limits that it first had and, and everything and it's going to be interesting to see these players um, keep developing and like make the transition to the senior team and I think that there's a lot of talent there and I really think that Nicole Perez is one of the prime candidates for a Europe transfer I mean I think that she she's someone who could really do well there and I think that there must be already some eyes on her because she's also like best friends with Silvana Flores, who was at Arsenal and mm-hmm. is currently at Chelsea. So, I mean, we, we've seen that before with Mexican players, like sometimes they start recommending to their coaches or to their staff, like, I know that this player, maybe you should look into her and you should check her out. So I know that, that Silvana is probably going to try to help her too, to make the move. And I think that if she has like a, a good season with Chivas right now, as she's having, 
and maybe hopefully they get the title, I think that's also going to, going to boost like her chances to to try to make the move to Europe. Yeah, I was reading an interview before, and um, she's saying she said she keeps saying that uh, she wants to win the championship before she eventually goes back to Europe because that's her ultimate her ultimate goal is to go back to Europe after after the month she had at RCB uh, Espanol. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably like a challenge that she has. I mean, she probably has like that maybe that chip on her shoulder to say, I want to go back and and like prove that I that I'm worthy and that I'm good enough to make it in Europe. And I, I do think that she's going to eventually make the move. I mean, she's 19. She's like a good age to, to keep developing and growing. And like a, also, as we see, like the European leagues get better. I mean, it's becoming like an even more real option for Mexican players there. Yeah, hope, hopefully it's Arsenal and not, and not Chelsea because I'd like to watch her play for Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we also... Okay, so we asked um, Nicole Perez, fan club president... Amy Lopez to, to give us a few words about Nicole uh, to read here and then she replied uh, about Nicole she is amazing in every way possible Arsenal women please sign her <laughs> and yeah I mean I think that it would be like an interesting thing to see her with Arsenal and, and do really well I mean I hope that that she eventually makes it she, she eventually makes it there and Nicole is like one of the players that I've gotten to meet like in person and she's kind of really impressive because even though she was like what 18 or 17 when i met her a year ago um she's like really she has like a lot of like calm and composure with fans like if you saw her and like you didn't know how old she was you would think that she's been like a pro for uh way longer than she has been because she's like like really really calm and like she's really good at interviews and like she seems like a really mature person but she also has like the prankster side like she's been consistently named as one of the team pranksters so she kind of has like that balance where you know she's a kid and she's like playing pranks with everyone on the team but she's also like really mature and composed and professional with with fans and with the team and on the pitch so it's kind of interesting to see her like have that balance and like that maturity to to like do both because you don't necessarily want like such a young player to be like really uptight or or kind of not enjoying like their their youth because they're like so so really young they're really kids still yeah for sure um yeah i'm really excited to keep watching her she has three goals on the season i i know she has a couple of assists i don't know how many because i couldn't find the a table on the league mx feminine site for assists i don't know if you know off the top of your head how many assists she has on the season i think she had two or three i still need to update my database i haven't really built my goals and assists i haven't updated them uh, but i i'll get to that and i think that i only had the list of those until last week i don't know if i have it because she had here. one she had but one yeah, in the pumas game had, uh-huh. She took the corner that Alicia Cervantes got the goal on. Okay, so she had two all the way to Jornada Cuatro, so she must be like around three or four right now. Probably. Okay. Yeah, now, and so, she has yeah, three I mean, goals. She, yeah, she's, she's solid on both fronts. Like, she's someone who can assist, but she's also really good at finishing on, on her specialties, which are like free kicks and penalty kicks. So you, she's kind of like a very really well-rounded player and and like I said so young and like with such composure on the field like she's not someone who's going to get 
into picking easy fights or or taking yellow cards like really easily. She's she's had she has like that maturity to her too, which is really interesting to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's our profile on Nicole Perez. Uh, Melissa, Cuba's next game is against Querétaro on Monday night. Well, Monday afternoon, I guess. 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Um, I, I was looking at Querétaro's um, place in the table. They were like, what was it, like 8th? Yeah, not, the thing they're not with one of the Querétaro, stronger teams. Well, they used to be one of the weakest teams. or, or one, Yeah, one of the weakest teams in the league, but... During the offseason, they, they brought in Carla Rossi as their coach. Then I think that the work that she's been doing with that team is starting to show right now. So this is not like the same kind of Querétaro that you can just like brush off easily. I think that it's going to be like interesting to see how well they can do against Chivas. And I think that it's going to be like maybe more competitive than that what their ranking might suggest. I kind of really want to see what what Carla Rossi does in terms of trying to trying to neutralize Chivas like we've seen other other teams do. So I think it's going to be interesting, an interesting challenge for them too. Do you want to make a prediction on what scoreline? Mm, I think that it's going to probably be two one maybe. I think that they they had like a Querétaro had a three one loss against Tigres, so I do think that they're they're probably going to score on Chivas. So I'm going with a two-one, I think. Yeah, I'm looking at some of their um. I'm looking at their results from like past games. They have a three-one loss to Tigres. They have a three-nil win over Cholos. A three-nil win over Mazatlan. Uh, a three-three tie in there with Atlas. So yeah, it might be might be a little tougher, but um, I'm still gonna pick Chivas no matter what. Yeah, I think that Chivas can pull off the win, but like like I said, this is not like the same week Querétaro that we were used to seeing. Like the improvement is there. And I think that it's going to, to be great to have that, that challenge because after Querétaro, it's Rayadas up next, which is yeah. like one of the toughest matches of the season. So that's going to be also really interesting to see. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to look ahead to the Rayadas match, but remember we were, last podcast we were talking about it already and we are saying they need adversity and I like what I see from Shorty and I like what I see from the team. So hopefully we can walk into that match after a win against Querétaro. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that we're seeing Chore consolidate his style. And also we're seeing him grow as a coach too. So I think that it's going to be interesting that, that they get Rayadas like right at the middle of the season. Like it's their it's their midterm test. And mm-hmm. let's see how, how they can do it. Mean, like you said, I like what, what we're seeing so far. I think that this team exceeding expectations. They're performing well. I mean, we have a golden boot contender. We have the best defense. And I think that maybe people keep brushing off Chivas and kind of expecting them to fall apart. But it doesn't look like that's going to come soon. No, definitely not. And hopefully not. Uh, Melissa, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? not, Not really. I mean, just like keep watching, keep supporting. And like, let's hope that left back mystery gets sorted soon, I hope. Uh, all right, so uh, this has been another episode of the Chivas del Norte podcast. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week after Chivas plays Querétaro. We're out.